Dady Lady. The Book Club of Love. Hi, Vera Elizabeth. Hello, and welcome to the 54th annual Dady Ladies Podcast, starring Barbara Duffy and Vera Duffy. Nice. I like this. Who is this? Who are we talking with here? This is the lady driving to your house at 9 (laughs) a.m. Are you tired? No. (laughs) I am. You're in your jammies. I am in my jammies. You're in your jammies. I was up late dancing with a unicorn. Okay. Well... That doesn't need any explanations nope. whatsoever. So chapter 10. <laughs> Look, this is this is the fourth installment of us. Wait, re- wait, maybe you feel like this is the 54th episode on this book. Is that <laughs> what's happening? <laughs> I do. We're, uh, we're reviewing the next section of Heartbreak by who, Barbara? Flojo. Exactly. I have that written down. I, I'm calling her Flowey from now on. Heartbreak. Flor- this is wait, Florence Griffith Joyner. Yes. Yeah, I know. The no. runner lady with the beautiful style. Legs. Florence Williams. Florence Williams. She was used to be married to Heath Ledger. That's a tragic story. Uh, yeah, this is chapter 10. We're, uh, we are covering the second half of the second part of this book. And when we're this finished. Great, this great book. This great book. And when we're finished, we will be halfway through. But you know what, here, what, the one thing though, Vera, is that there's a whole section here about, so it's Heartbreak, A Personal and Scientific Journey. And uh, this is Florence Williams, the author of The Nature Fix. So she wrote a book before about how nature fixes everything. Uh, spoiler alert, she decides that nature is going to fix her divorce. There's a whole section on that journey. I don't think we need to cover it. I really don't. I think for people who fucking love nature, get a boner over kayaking, this, I don't want to give any of that away. All right. Well, we, we won't have to cover that part So that's, that's like, is that like a chapter though? That's a couple chapters, okay. right? Well, let's catch our listeners okay, up. Okay, okay, okay. Um, because it's been uh, 40 years since we did our last episode on this. So Florence Williams uh, is a woman in her late 40s who got divorced from her husband of uh, 67 years. Yes. <laughs> uh, and she is heartbroken over it. So she's doing, she's trying to figure out. She's trying to do a personal and scientific journey. Yeah, exactly. Um, so this is this second section of the book is called Alone. And we are in chapter 10. And I'm going to give a little breakdown of each chapter. Thank you so much for doing this, Vera. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. <laughs> Chapter 10 is called The Body Doesn't Lie. Flo Wee examines the physical effects of betrayal and trauma and the healing effects of nature as she accompanies sex trafficking victims on a hiking trip. Uh, Chapter 11, Shaggy Birds. Flo finds that while ruminating worsens distress, and ruminating is just thinking about things again and again and again, replaying them and stuff like that. Making meaning from your distress improves your psychological outcome, especially as, quote unquote, we start rediscovering our sense of self. And also a lot of boring river trip planning. (laughs) I didn't mean to read that out loud. (laughs) No, I love those paragraphs because I just go skip. Okay. Um, Because we're not into river trip planning. No, we're not. Uh, Chapter 12, Wizards of Lonesome. Flo gets her blood analyzed for physical signs of loneliness, i.e. lack of social support and stress. Uh, I just have in parentheses, more inflammation, less protection against viruses. That's what stress does to you. Inflames your body. Um, And then visits the Minister of Loneliness in England. Mm. BB. Yes, Fifi. Why don't you get us started? <laughs> Who is this person? I don't know. I don't know. Do you like her? Yeah. 
I think because the Academy Awards Yeah, just that's happened. what I was going to say. Did you watch the Academy Awards? No, not a single second of it. Okay, but, but you watched it like in 83? I saw a little video of the woman, a woman who does that announcing in oh. between. And I was like, that's cool. I wish I could do oh, that. Yeah. And, and I was like, can I do that? Yes, you can. Well, I was in my car driving and I'm like, Angelina Jolong. No, I can't do it. <laughs> I can't do it. Because I think she does it live. So that would be crazy if she f that wow. up. Yeah. Colin Farrell. Oh, no. <laughs> you would never do that. Though, I would never you? do that. No, because I've been practicing. And you Magnolia Boulevard. So I was on the... Oh, I know I what you're doing. Oh, I, just, I know. You're, you're I just narrating everything that you saw. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. In case you know what, that falls through and I have to be Siri. I'm going to be very... Wait, hold on. What falls through? Oh, you <laughs> announcing the... <laughs> the, uh, the Academy Awards. I could be a Siri instead. We we are a series. We are a series. Yeah. And are we series? No, we're the, who's the, ma- who's the GPS? Is there a name for that? Well, uh, you have an Australian one. I have an Irish one. Yeah. I don't know what they're called. But we do, do turn left here, turn right here. Now your child does it and so does mine. Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. So, uh, chapter 10, the body doesn't lie. Okay. The first thing you underlined was my right eye kept twitching, right? Your eye was twitching when yes. you were going through your divorce. That was the second divorce. It was a day I, I figured out that my divorce had gone through and it had gone through like, you know, weeks before. But after that phone call, it was gone. Weird. And I was trying to get rid of it for months. But no, the first sentence that p- jumped out. I weighed 106 pounds. Yes. Because my first divorce, mm-hmm. I think I got down to like 97 pounds. Okay. Because wow. my diet was Prozac and Red Bull. Like I, I couldn't function. It was, yeah. So different now. I eat Cheetos on the couch when I'm stressed. That's a healthy alternative. (laughs) I don't know. When I didn't understand the uh, problem with losing a ton of weight because I was in my 20s. And of course, there's no reason why losing weight would be a bad thing. No, you're supposed to uh, disappear physically. And heart palpitations. Okay. So it's like, yeah, physical. she's, She's seeing her physical body was like... So Barbara, what jumped out at you about this chapter? She's uh, goes on a wild hiking ex- experience with these women who have are part of a thing where they've been abused and sex trafficked, and now they are going to go to nature and heal by hiking and stuff like that. By putting their body in a physical space where their sen- all their senses are, their whole body is involved in getting them through this yeah. hiking thing. So they have to be grounded in themselves. And this is literally unfamiliar territory. Some of it's a little dangerous, and they have to prove themselves to themselves. Mm-hmm. and Trust be- themselves. Exactly, yeah. So physically, they're in a different spot mentally they're in a different spot emotionally they're in a different spot for these women they describe the horrors of being sex trafficked how do they get through it by disassociating so they would leave their bodies basically so this is them entering back into their bodies yeah yeah i don't know i thought it was interesting that she would go on this and that she there's a little bit of like condescension there's a paragraph here where she talks about i was aware of my own privilege but also of the thin margins separating the lucky from the unlucky or the white from the (laughs) non-white I mean, she, you know, she is great about calling out white men. Yeah. I, I, I will say that. How about that? I'll just leave it at that. But yeah. I, I think I, I, there is um, there's a huge jump between where she is in her life and where these women are. And I'm not quite sure what... I think she's aware of that. And I think to do... Because I think she did this for a story. Yeah. I'm glad that she did it. I'm glad that these yeah. women are represented. Yeah, me too. I think it's good that she went on this trip because it is good that she uh, was exposed to other people, other people and other people's trauma. Yeah. You can't compare traumas. No. 
I, I guess there's just like there's an element of like spectator in this. And I, you know what? I don't think that there's that much of a divide between. I mean, these women were taken advantage of. You know, what's interesting when, when she's talking about sex trafficking and how people get into it, she said a lot of people come from middle class families and it's just sort of something that happens. You know, just yeah. one, one thing leads to another. It's not people who are necessarily born disadvantaged. It can kind of happen to anyone. Anyone can get tricked into it. I thought that was a good thing to read because I I never really thought about, you know, the origins of sex trafficking. And also the women were all Americans. Yeah. She said, somebody asked her like, what countries these women are from? She's like, well, the state of Georgia, you know? Yeah. Here. It happens constantly here. So I I learned a little something about about sex trafficking. So I I have a paragraph highlighted on 124. It begins, traumatized brains. Traumatized brains are fundamentally different. And then it ends, if you're busy feeling what is happening right now, it's harder to continue feeling the traumatic events of the past. And this is what you just said, basically, about getting your body and your mind back together. And I feel like this this is Lucha for me. Okay. And Lucha for you. Could you hold on one second and look at my post-it? Okay. It says Lucha. Lucha. Yeah, it just yeah. says Lucha. Mine says Lucha. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's that's what I jumped into after the first divorce in Mexican wrestling training. Yes, and it it was changed my life. Yeah, because when you're training, literally, I, I maybe I've said this before. Didn't matter what was going on in my life. If something terrible was happening at that time, and also great things were happening, everything stopped while I was training because yeah. you have to focus on that, or, or you'll get hurt. But it's just you're completely absorbed by it and then like the two hours would pass and then I'd be like catapulted back into my own life and sometimes it would be disturbing because I'd be back in the bad thing or sometimes I'd yeah. be in the good thing it's really incredible yeah. I and and so that's like what these women are doing they're not just hiking but they're scaling rocks and, uh-huh. and they're engaging not that we, look if you were not paying attention to lucha you could really hurt yourself exactly same with what they're doing oh yeah like i mean i landed on my head once when i tried to do a, a jump over somebody like just flat on my head is that what it's called in wrestling what jump over somebody yeah yeah jump or is over. it called a salta maroma oh mm-hmm, mm-hmm. plancha suicida mm-hmm. one time i did a plancha suicida which is a uh, you jump on the turnbuckle well this particular no this was not a suicida sorry this is just a plancha but i jumped up on the turnbuckle and then you you know you're facing out and then you have to sort of twist in the air and somebody uh-huh. will catch you and that person didn't and i landed straight like he actually kind of backed off who is this oh man it was the son of the trainer he, so he was kind of like this young guy uh-huh. um you know a lot to prove and he's in there with the girl and he just fucked it up and i landed straight on my face i'm going to illustrate to barbara like this is the oh ground. no on chin on chin but like if it had Edit. been any oh. different angle it would have broken my nose and it was uh his dad was not happy but in lucha training you don't show when you're not happy about something you keep everything you keep your shit together you don't yeah. blame other people but it was one of those moments where it's like oh you you fucked up and we all saw you fuck oh up not me him because yeah. he didn't catch me anyway um moving on uh but yeah so uh for people that are going through traumatic experiences and trying to heal i Barbara and I can tell you firsthand. Find something that roller skating. Well, I mean roller skating. <laughs> uh, that's what. Look what I wrote underneath. I know. Lucha. I, I do see roller skating. I mean roller skate. It's a little different because there's not well, the way I do it. Oh really? Have well, you, you know what? The the better I'm getting. Yeah. The more I'm like dart. It's like yes. darting in between people and take and not slowing down and just. 
like yeah. going right up to someone and then having to figure out what am I going to do? Maybe, well, maybe I'll slow down, but oh, I, do I yes. go left or right? Do I, you know. And then somebody's behind you and somebody's yeah. on this side and they, you don't know, their hand might come out. I do agree with that. On, uh, on page 126, it says, uh, as Littleton and Littleton is who? A dude. No, I don't think so. Alea Littleton is an adventure therapist who specializes in sexual trauma. Okay, so she's on this trip with them. As yes. Like a, as a, a professional. On page 126, it says, as Littleton explained it, healing trauma is complicated. Emotions reside in parts of the brain not related to linear thinking. Simply talking about traumatic memories doesn't work. Healing involves both se- separating fearful emotions from the bad memories and also bringing the nervous system back to the present, which is EMDR. And she talks more about that at the end of the chapter. It's suggested to her that she tries it. I had that underlined too, by the way. I, I, I've said it many times before, but EMDR is a miracle. And I think, I mean, how do you know if it will work for you? I think if you have, for me, it was something very specific that was ongoing, you know, um, but I've used it for many different things in my life. Actually, I, I started because I started doing EMDR because I was going through traumatic stuff with mm-hmm. a divorce, um, a divorce with someone who you have kids with, you continuously see that person. It's not like, yeah, so the trauma is just replaying and replaying or it's, it's, it's resurfacing. Being, yeah, and, yeah. And then it's reminding me of the others, like the worst stuff that maybe caused uh, you know the divorce yes yeah but then I went back and like did stuff about my childhood and I've genuinely healed giant parts of of my life you know that have to do with self-esteem and fear and all that stuff that like I don't know maybe you don't realize until you're a little bit older just like you've been going about your life some things suck your reaction to certain things sucks after having kids and be in real you know realizing that my career is kind of like stabilizing haha because we haven't worked for a while but I was able to focus on that stuff like hey I want that stuff to change you know and that an EMDR can do that an EMDR can you just say real quick what it is it's uh, it's not an, an industrial band from the 90s right <laughs> Yeah, I mean, yes. You okay. just you go to a show mm-hmm. and you stomp around okay. and you do that punchy dance. Okay, continue. It's a combination of sound and the way you move your eyes and questions. That's all I'm going to say. It's It seems weird at first. Can you do it for yourself? Can you do it by yourself? Well, during the pandemic, when it wasn't possible to do it in person with your therapist, mm-hmm. these like apps came out maybe they existed before but they became more popular so i think technically you can but i don't you you need i think you really need yeah because there's like it's timed out so if you're going to go for talk therapy you might as well look for emdr is what you're trying to say or do both or what i think both probably but you're not but emdr therapists like don't go to someone who's like uh i you know i'm I'm gonna dabble in this you need to see someone who's been trained properly and it's expensive usually no, I mean, I don't mean to dismiss that. It's just that yeah. that's a barrier to people. Um, so the sentence simply talking about traumatic memories doesn't work. That bummed me out because that's talk therapy. I talk to my therapist about good and bad therapists. Yeah. Therapists are trained, a lot of them, to just let you talk. Like their job is is to sit back Mm -hmm. and you talk. And I really don't think that's good because I get the most out of my therapy sessions when I tell my therapist a story and then I go, what's going on? Yeah. Or give me feedback. And she she is so on the nose because she's been listening to me for two years. Yeah. I mean, when I when I was looking for a therapist, some of the therapists in their bios would say, I don't deal with trauma. I deal with like life goals, you know. So if you come to me. Yes. Which is almost 
almost like a life coach, I, guess, I yeah. think. And that's, I mean, that can be helpful, but that's not why I would, if I'm going to spend my time and money on therapy, I would, I need my problem. I need my traumas, you know, yes. worked yeah, on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I completely, I'm sorry, I got off point a little bit. But yeah, I think that's, there's a difference between people trying to work out their present and their future as opposed to like healing their past. Yeah. But I, I think everyone has trauma in their past. You know, you're a little tiny vulnerable person for a decade. Yeah. You know, no, I don't think anyone comes out unscathed. I don't think so either. Being unable to trust yourself is perhaps the biggest heartbreak of all is a sentence that I underlined. I also underlined that they're eating supermarket bagels and canned salmon. Don't ever buy canned salmon because you'll find a spine. I think maybe the supermarket bagels thing was one of those things. I was like, what? Really? You poor thing. (laughs) (laughs) Bitchy. I did have uh, one of the women, Rochelle, she went to jail for cashing a fraudulent check for a friend and she said I didn't really have an identity and I'm like girl you need a better card yeah <laughs> go down to what w- MacArthur Park yeah yeah you can do that in the 90s and you mm-hmm. can get a like a really good fake ID okay heartbreak is trauma it dismantles your identity and untraumatizing your heart break you rebuild your identity that's what I found after my, uh, my after big, you went down to MacArthur Park I did yeah <laughs> I rebuilt it <laughs> After my after my big breakup in the uh, in the late nineties, it was a rebuilding of identity, and you rebuild yourself better. Can we move on to uh, chapter eleven? Yeah, wait, one more, just one more thing on page one one twenty six. So everyone, I guess, is from Georgia because they are referred to by her by the, as the Georgians. Mm-hmm. The Georgians were helping me understand the urgency to heal trauma. To do so would mean transforming not just themselves but also their families and their communities. And to that, I wrote, ongoing trauma is. Uh, mistreatment of black and brown people in America. Black and brown people aren't allowed to heal from their traumas because it keeps happening, keeps happening. And that's why it's happening. So that... Yeah, just indifferent. It just looks different now. You know? I mean, like, police... Right. Police murders. These communities can never heal because it keeps happening. And I think that's very important to understand. Yes. And so no one in these communities can heal because it keeps happening and happening and happening. If you're wondering why it's happening, it's because... (laughs) But it just looks... It looks different. It's gone from, like, slavery to police... It's the brutality. Same, yeah. It's it's the same thing in a different package, and it just keeps getting repackaged. Yeah. So it's not just uh, individuals being harmed. It's the the effect is the community. Yeah. Chapter eleven is Shaggy Birds. Yep. I'm just oh. gonna go for my first underlined sentence. Okay. Even though the sadness was intense and uncomfortable, it somehow came attached to other feelings of vitality and gratitude, and even love for all the things that weren't out to hurt me. Where is that? What page is that on? That is the top of one fifty three. Mm hmm. Oh, she says, I liked having emotional and sensory range in my life. I think she's becoming a person. Uh, yeah. Okay, another sentence I underlined, I was scared of the future. I like to call this dwelling in the future. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Instead. Nice. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Okay, don't dwell in the future. Uh, you don't know what it is, and it could be wonderful, so don't dwell in whatever bullshit you're making up. She's, she goes, um, I, I didn't know who I was on my own because I'd never met that person before because she'd been with her husband for... Uh, it was 87 years. Yeah, and that that's... I think that's the reason I wanted a divorce when I was younger. Yeah. Like, it, it's hard to define yourself when you're with another person. At least, I always feel that way, which is one of the reasons I'm not desperate to, you know, as lonely as I can be like I don't do you find that or you wouldn't know would you (laughs) your jaw just dropped I wouldn't know what who I am the freedom when you're by yourself to be completely yourself or do you feel that way because I I I do yeah I mean Blaine and I are so completely ourselves yeah after 21 years no geez 22 going on 23 you kind of have to be yourself 
kind of a I realized like I can't I don't think I could be with anybody else because nobody else would let me leave like snot rags around the house you know what I mean just like anywhere no I don't know I know what you mean you're little <laughs> snot rags <laughs> I mean, I guess those are the physical things, but as far as being yourself, like, yeah. No, I, people might want to know what a snot oh, rag is. Oh, it's just a tissue full of uh, snot because uh, I have a lot of allergies. These are the sexy Poobel twins <laughs> coming to you with... Sorry, that's just the way it is. And also, I am sometimes cranky, and then I will make a joke about, can I yell at you some more? Uh-huh. That, oh. is, that is me. On, on page 133 later on, to move on, she said, you needed to know or think you knew what had happened. And she's talking about Helen Fisher, Helen Fisher, who who writes about love, the science of love. She studies love. Don't look at me. And she has a lot of books. They meet earlier in the... That was 15 chapters ago. Yeah, I know. So she emphasized to me the power of story. To move on, she said, you need to know or think you knew what, ha- what had happened. Because this book is about divorce, I'm going to keep talking about divorce. But my first divorce, something remarkable was that when we split and we were both pretty young, we didn't talk for 15 years. Mm. And then we were connected and we're friends. And we don't talk about the divorce very much. Like, I think we've barely touched on it. It is so painful. We don't. We just leave that in the past. But seeing who we are and understanding who we are, our essence hasn't changed since we're in our 20s. Yeah. I know a lot more of our story now now, and why it didn't work. That's a beautiful thing to know. Like, you may never know why something doesn't work. And I think it's the same with, like, people who are lucky enough to have their parents when they're adults. Yeah. Their parents alive when they're adults because you, you see how your parents are. Uh, you understand what worked and didn't work as a child because now you can process it as I an know. adult. I, I Everybody deserves to have live enough years to understand why things were the way they were because sometimes it just it's not clear when you're younger even having done this podcast like I completely have changed my not completely I've somewhat changed my view on my on my big breakup from yeah well you're healing from it right yeah but it's like I see things I see different perspectives I see stuff from his point of view a little bit more like I have more empathy for him yeah I have a paragraph highlighted that continues on that when these people in this experiment were given specific writing exercises to make meaning from experience as opposed to free writing they uh, reported better psychological outcomes and the writing prompts uh, included instructions such as tell the story of the end of your relationship narrate the separate experience and describe an end to your divorce story so instead of just like journaling or something you know like free writing as they Mm -hmm. said attempting to make meaning of what happened gives people helps them psychologically oh yeah yeah so that is something to think about if you're going through some sad times what page is that on 134 yeah go ahead and and make meaning of it instead of just i mean free writing is good too but um that's pretty much what this whole chapter is about on page 137 oh she so she's gonna do this kayaking thing and she's talking to a friend about it so it's gonna be like partially with people and partially by herself and she said and yet the solo piece would be significant this person she's talking to this unnamed person she's talking to says all your mistakes and your accomplishments out there are your own she said you can't blame or credit anyone else it's a reminder or a reacquaintance of what it is to be you here's something that is very different being single or being by yourself as opposed to being in a relationship i don't get mad the way i would get mad when I was with a partner. Because you have no one to blame but there's, yourself. And there's also no audience. <laughs> I, I, I just want people to think about this, especially people in long relationships or relationships where you think it's okay to yell at your partner. Yeah. The illustration 
I have for this is when I was tra- I was traveling in France by myself. One part of it, I needed to take a bus to a little tiny Airbnb up in the hills. Uh, actually, I think it was like I had to take a bus to a little town and then I was like, I need to find a cab or something. Mm-hmm. It was not easy to get to. So I was sitting in this bus depot. This bus kept coming around, but it never stopped at my bench. Mm-hmm. And it happened like five or six times until it got to the hour. And all this was really hard to kind of figure out. It got to the hour where the buses weren't coming anymore. So I'd been sitting there for like three hours. I had to pee. I was hungry, but I couldn't get up because I was waiting for that bus. And then I realized, oh, that bus, like they were waiting for me to stand up. They were being an asshole. You know, I was supposed to stand up and then they would have stopped and opened their doors. Okay. They just watched me sitting there and then until it was too late. So I had to give up my reservation. I had to get back on a train and figure out where to stay for the night. Oh, my God. Yeah. And I was so pissed. But there was nobody to be pissed at. There was nobody. Like, and it was like this really calm feeling that I had. It wasn't a calm feeling. But I had, you know, I processed it as like, oh, well, the next step is I have to get on the phone and call a hotel in the next biggest city. But you know what? If I'd been with a partner, I bet I would have been livid, you (laughs) know? You would have blamed that person. Because I was mad at myself or whatever, like, you know. Um, But yeah, I see like people with their partners and they just, they get so pissed at each other. I've had that after the divorce, I tried dating for the first time and I would get pissy with people Mm -hmm. and no one puts up with that. Like nobody puts up with that. And it's, and now when I see it in in couples, it makes me so uncomfortable because maybe that's a dynamic you saw your parents do. But I think like in the healthy world, that's not a thing, you know, it's like such not a thing. Anyway, that's, that's, that's good to know because we're... Uh, gonna t- we, you and I have a trip planned, so I will keep that in mind. Yeah, you know what, really? Because when you're trapped with somebody, yeah, exactly, Vera. A little bit tiny off topic, the rat test. Do you know about the rat test, the remote association test? No, tell me about it. I should well, know. Well, it's here. Yeah, I know. It's right here oh, okay. in the chapter. I'm just going to put up a link to it. It's kind of interesting. It's a, It's like three words, and then you have to pick a common Oh, yeah, yeah. I, there's like a rat test online, and I. it's kind of meditative. Oh. So I'm going to put it up. Okay, cool. Oh, I have something. Um, Johns Hopkins. Mm-hmm. Johns Hopkins. Jonathan Hopkins. No. Johns Hopkins. Yeah. What about it? Does yeah. that not what irritate, about him? irritates the <laughs> shit out of me? It always has. I finally looked it up. Is it two names? Two last names? No, Vera. It's much worse than that. What is it? That's one guy. His name was fucking Johns. It was... No. Yes, Vera. I'm, I'm livid. Aren't you? Yes. Can you be my partner so I can yell at you? That's really... <laughs> that's infuriating. What the fuck is that? No, Johns Hopkins. What kind of monster names their kid Johns? What kind of monster names their hospital? Just their first and last name. Yeah. I'm going to the Vera Duffy. Tell me at least it's apostrophe at the end. Johns Hopkins University Yeah, hospital. well, you said it was a hospital. Yeah. Vera Duffy's hospital. I'm going to Vera Duffy's. No, oh, you're oh, going oh. to Vera Duffy hospital. Ve- oh, sorry. You're going to Vera's. Yeah. Duffy's. Okay. <laughs> it's not only Johns Hopkins. It's Johns Hopkins Carey. Carey. Business, Business School. school. Some people there wrote a paper called Outside Advantage, Can Social Rejection Fuel Creative Thought? I really thought it was a hospital. I really did. I think it might be. It might be. All, oh, so he just slapped his name on any old thing. Okay. His names. His names. It goes on to say, social rejection might amplify feelings of distinctiveness as well as creativity by conferring the willingness to recruit ideas from unusual places and move beyond existing knowledge structures. Like you're creating your own reality so that you aren't rejected from... Oh. <laughs> no. 
it's uh, uh, people who feel distinct feel even more distinct after being rejected socially because it uh, underlines their individualism, I guess. At the heart of what we think is happening is that you see yourself as having independence and there's a quality of finding strength in that individualism. Uh, when I had a breakup, I did feel more like in the beginning, I, I felt that I was very much a part of my partner and I, w- I lost myself when we broke up. But then I felt stronger mm-hmm. because I do have a strong sense of individualism. And I wanted to ask you, do you feel that too? And do you think maybe that's because we're identical twins who've spent a lifetime trying to forge our actual identities? Look at my post-it. Let me see your post-it. Where does that? I can't read. Me? Twin related. Yeah. Okay. So that's all I need to read. Um, I, I do think there's a weird thing where we twin individuate. We do twin individuate. I mean, from the world. We're, you I mean, when we, we together. We... we needed independence from each other from each other so we're good we know the importance of that yeah but then we also as a unit yeah we to individuate from yeah society okay Uh, it doesn't mean i'm any less heartbroken by social rejection which i really suffer from oh my god i suffer from it but to the extent that you couldn't like i used to be like if i went to a movie by myself like everyone everyone's looking at me and they all know that i'm lonely and sad oh no i love being by myself no no i now i'm like i can just sit there and stare i don't even have to look at my phone like before the the movie starts oh yeah and i feel completely (laughs) great i mean i do wipe the spit off my face yeah i like that she started to take responsibility for her uh marriage falling apart a little bit when she's talking to her friend um about her trip and she says, her, I guess her friend said, she, she describes her marriage at this point. Its flatness had seemed a reasonable trade-off for security and family. I like that Florence, mm-hmm. in this paragraph, halfway through the book, is admitting that her marriage was flat. Nothing was happening with it. But that was enough for her to have security and family. And maybe that wasn't enough for her husband, who clearly had not found his soulmate yet. <laughs> As he, as he stated. Well, Fira, wait, I'm just thinking, like, that's one thing about her that I cannot relate to. Like, as soon as I, I mean, I've described it as, like, jumping out too quickly from relationships, but the idea that you would stay with someone for more than a year. Well, she loved him, too, though. I this I do understand this. I do understand having been with somebody for over 20 years. It's not always exciting. He didn't love her anymore. And if one person doesn't love, is not in love, you fucking know it. Like there's a difference. You you and Blaine are in love. You will you've always been in love, whether or not you're bored or whatever the emotion is. Like you're in love. He did not love her. Yeah. And they there's at least five years where she was aware of this. Mm, I see what you're saying. And for me, like a month of knowing that someone is not. Yes. If if Blaine tells me I'm not in love with you anymore, I'd be like, well, that would be a good reason to start looking into doing something different. And I wouldn't try and make him love me again. And I Would you look into something different or would you go, okay, this is the end of our relationship. Let's move towards that. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah. I, in something not, different. Not like you're going to take a cooking class together. <laughs> you know what I thought we'd do? Renew our vows. Yeah, exactly. Okay. <laughs> Maybe you should have another kid. Yeah, that sounds good too. Um, but but uh, I wonder if I'm confident about getting out of relationships I wonder if it's because I have a twin because I'm like, this is, I know, here's the benchmark of like how, <laughs> how fun it can be and how like rewarding it can be to relate to another human being. Uh-huh. Like, and I have this already. I don't need. Barbara, you might need to lower your bar. Not everybody's going to be 
as no I'm not talking about anyone else but myself I'm just I'm trying to figure out like why I cannot relate to her and why I've never been I've never felt I've never felt that there hasn't been another opportunity out there that's a better fit like why would I stay in this thing although you did tell me that you were with somebody who's sh- you when you you found girl shoes under the bed right or by the door or something and you stayed for a little while longer well yeah I mean I was 22 and but she in many ways still is 22 because she met this guy when she was a teenager right her husband yeah but I complained a lot and had a giant crush on the guy I was gonna marry and like it wasn't I mean with that guy I was like I just didn't want to lose all the friends I met through him and it was very superficial and I was not in love with him okay well I guess it's different when you have like I like I said about the snot rags like I I don't care to start over at this point I hope I don't have to I could see how she I don't know what she does you know yeah she probably has a lot of stuff that she has gotten used to that's not funny that's not funny exactly I do understand for somebody who doesn't have any experience outside of this marriage that was 109 years like I can see how it would be a very daunting thing yes to know that you're about to move on you have no choice in it and you're 49 years old I do understand her yeah um and uh, hopefully by the end of this book, she understands herself. I think she does. We have one more chapter uh, for this episode, number twi- number twelve. Number twelve. <laughs> what the fuck? The Wizards of Lonesome. That's chapter twelve. Yeah. I put d- multiple stars by. She's so so in this chapter, she's talking to Steve Cole, and she flies out to Los Angeles for a molecular analysis of her blood because it can tell you about stress mm-hmm. and heartbreak. Yes, I guess. White blood cell markers and stuff, right? Yeah, inflammations. Mm -hmm. He has examined people's blood after interventions like, well, you know, whatever, nature immersion or daily meditation. As Cole explained, you can take all the questionnaires you want and burble on about how much better you're feeling after, say, a yoga class or a walk in the park or getting engaged. But the real question is uh, whether your body, your immune system, to be precise, is still gearing up to face a threat that doesn't really exist. We should be able to take that test. I know. Like, everyone should. Yeah. Um, Seriously, no no more of this. How are you feeling? No, look yeah, at my fucking blood cells. Yeah, really. I, I would imagine it's hard to get this insurance to cover it. He says, when you're stressed, the bone marrow gets the instructions that you are about to be injured or attacked, so it shifts priorities. It uh, might make more monocytes and fewer B cells, for example, providing an individual snapshot of your threat radar in the days before your blood draw. There are ways to experience shock and misery, from loneliness to PTSD to discrimination to hatred of your job to physical pain, and they register in similar ways in the genome. Uh, I have that underlined, too. He zeroes in on a block of about 200 genes that make up what he calls an organized conspiracy in the immune system, joining forces to launch uh, an uptick in inflammation and a downtick in your ability to fight viruses. So that's why you get sick. Oh, so when you're lonely, your body produces more inflammation, which is very bad for you. Yeah. And then because you're not going to be around other people, the risk of getting a virus is lower. So then your immunity goes down. Yeah. I think the example is like if you uh, if you're by yourself and you get hurt, your body's going to have to heal that. Like that's going to be the priority. It's not going to be catching COVID or something because your your body knows that um, there's nobody around to do that. How about the fact that she lists hatred of your jaw? I know. That's yeah. That's why I read that. Yeah, that's a big... I had a job I hated and I, I cried on a weekly basis and I did this for months. Like, how the f- how did I do that? Like, really, six months of crying every single week. Don't do that to yourselves, people. Well, that's a hard one, Vera. I mean, that's... It is a hard I one. I think we're both grappling with that right now, right? It's never going to be as bad as the job where we didn't get paid. You and I were both at the same company. We were told that we wouldn't get paid. So I never knew if I had money. 
And then the uh, the owner would come in and yell at us sometimes. Yeah. How about this? Our bodies, as Cole puts it, are quite adept at turning misery into death. <laughs> yeah. When, when we are stuck in a state of fear, inflammation becomes a powerful fertilizer for cardiac disease, neurodegenerative diseases like Alzheimer's, and metastatic cancer. So she goes to visit the Minister of Loneliness in... In England. Goes, yeah. goes to visit the Minister of Loneliness in England. And she talks about loneliness um, hurting people. Do you like this voice better than the other one? You, you can use that voice. You just have to, okay. to talk I faster. Have to, I have to talk about the sheds. Okay, so um, she goes to visit the Minister of Loneliness who talks about stuff, and then she goes to visit a men's shed. Wait, so the Minister of Loneliness in... Um, <laughs> Just so you know what it is. She's uh, she's MP Mims Davies, Minister of Loneliness. And she just happens to land in the UK during like Loneliness Week or something. Oh, it's during Thanksgiving too, because she's not with her kids this year. So she goes to England during American Thanksgiving. And she, during the week, Loneliness Awareness Week, to visit the Minister of Loneliness. Mims says, not having your social connections can be as bad for you as obesity or smoking. I think it's quite easy to think that it's just a rural, isolated, older person's issue, but it's not. You might be a young person in a new city. You might be a caregiver. You might be a new mom. You might be someone uh, looking after somebody with a disablement. But also, if you can recognize it in yourself or from previous points in your life, you can recognize it in all the people around you. You can help and reach out to people. Something that they've done in the UK to help combat this is, what are they called? Men's sheds. There are these men's sheds that are... It's two words. Men, sh, men, sh, men sheds. Men sheds. Like warehouses. Did the UK set this up or did they, or did Ben, I know there's like 400 of them now, right? In this book. Roland Duke. He was a retired firefighter. He told me he didn't want to just sit at home and his wife didn't want him to either after he retired. So he created this men's shed in a former industrial garage a couple of years ago with some funding from a charity called Age UK. And later, he got additional help from the National Lottery, part of a movement that originally started in Australia, but has since spread to many countries. The sheds aim to bring men together to share power tools, work on small projects, and at least in Britain, drink massive quantities of tea. And she describes it as like, uh, she goes to visit this and she describes it as like men sitting like sort of shoulder to shoulder, maybe working on stuff, maybe not making eye contact, but just sort of talking. That reminded me, we had, yeah. a, we had a therapist at one point who, who told me there was an experiment with cockroaches where, did she tell you this one, Lori? There was an experiment with cockroaches where they set up a habitat with a bunch of toilet tube rolls all next to each other. And all of the female cockroaches were like in a huddle on the bottom. And then the men cockroaches were just sitting in their individual toilet to <laughs> tube rolls. The men cockroaches? Yeah, the men cockroaches. And, you know, I hate to compare people to cockroaches. Um, so the same kind of social dynamic is here. Like women, like we got together. Sunday night? Sunday night. And we had you and me and two of our girlfriends. And we, we went to, we went shopping at a, like a psychic uh, bookstore. And then we went and had, then we had dinner here that we prepared we all prepared and contributed to and then we sat around doing intentions and then we like like we all did this like yeah. group community thing and then men you know like my husband socializes primarily by text chain these men are uh -huh. socializing by like sitting at a table or in do and doing power yeah yeah stuff. and occasionally like ribbing each other but they're yeah but they are together right and, and they have something to look forward to and it 
this makes a huge difference. So for all of our talking about heartbreak and all the bad things it can do for you, loneliness and stuff like that, I want to say something like this is amazing. People can find this. And I want to give one example. My son, who I've mentioned before, has had trouble getting a social circle going. And I kind of set that intention of like, I want to help him with this. And then I was just like scrolling Facebook and I came to this thing for a Pokemon group. I started taking him to it and he has found like his little group of people. He told this group of people that he's only known for three weeks that he loved them. Aww. He's so, such a sweetie. Yeah. So I want to make two points there. First of all, like if you are lonely, set an intention to find a group. It's out there. If I hadn't said like I need to find something for my son, I probably would have just skipped over this Facebook posting that's really changed his life. Yeah. If you are feeling lonely. Well, you're talking to me because I feel lonely sometimes. No, I'm not. Oh. I'm talking to everybody. Okay. I mean, you, you're doing it. You have your, we have a roller skating coven that meets up. Yeah. We had a thing on Sunday. You had a little group of people over last night. You're doing it. We saw a play, you know, like a week before with a little yeah. group of people. I just want to say for people who yeah. are lonely, reach out. And if one group of people isn't right for you, find another group of people. Yeah. But be okay with the social rejection like I struggle with. Well, yeah. no, seriously, it's, it's so hard. It is. It's, but, it is really hard. I mean, there's... I keep moving because maybe another group will be better. There are things that I will not show up to because I'm worried about... Like, it's weird. I, I, I dread parties because I'm worried about how awkward it'll be before I find like somebody to talk to. That's why you bring your support twin. That's why you. I bring my support twin everywhere I go. But like I don't I I don't know anyone who's more uh socially scared than me. But you just you keep doing it and you keep going going for it and eventually you will find a group of like minded people. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, we, we keep touching on uh, narcissism and we, we hung out with a friend that we haven't seen in ages who's a little bit older than us. She also had an experience with a narcissist. Well, again, I just I just want to say we are going to get to this because there were times after I broke up with a narcissist, I, was, I remember being at work and there'd be like a work gathering and I wouldn't leave my office because I felt like I was too ugly. Like I was just, I couldn't subject these what people. What the f- I know. Who the fuck said this? Who? No, no, no. No one said I was ugly though. But your self-esteem was so low. My that- self-esteem was so, had been shattered to such a, a profound degree that I thought I was too ugly to leave the room. I mean, it's it's true. It's true. It's really it's true. true. I, mean, yeah. I mean, I'm your sister. I have the same, so I know that, I mean, I know this. You know, yeah. but I just like, sometimes I just think about that, like, it was such a clear, like, I don't want to subject myself to the insecurity I'm going to feel because of the way I look. Oh, people averting their eyes and like. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, for me, I'd be so distracted, I would not be able to have a conversation. I'm serious. It's just so fucked up. I, so the stuff our friend was telling us was like, her partner was telling her like, not to, not to smile. Yeah. Like, don't smile. You smile too much. Damn, we need to make a, like a little list of stuff. I mean, she wised up pretty quick, but we need to make a little list of stuff. If your partner's telling you not to smile, uh, he might be a narcissist. Well, actually, he is a narcissist. Yeah. Anyway, that's... Yeah, it's it's hard, though, when somebody who loves you or you love, supposedly, is telling you stuff and you can't trust a word they're saying. Yeah. It's weird. That's a hard one to wrap your head around. I mean, that's, I mean, that, that's kind of like, that has got to have contributed to Florence's experience with her husband because he was, you know, she, she caught him uh, emailing a woman that he said he was in love with, you know, there had, lies had to have been involved with that in order to, you know, he was developing a relationship with another person. Totally. In, that, the, in the midst of their 200 year marriage, yes. you know, and it's like. That stuff fucks with you. It really does. Yeah. 
It really does. Okay, so I think we're, are we done for today? We are done for today. Right. We are halfway through the book. We have one section left called Awe. And we're not going to read the kayaking stuff. That's no, for you. That is for you to do all by yourself. Um, but we will tell you uh, our our twin sites from yes that we uh, gather from every other part thank you so much for listening please find us on wherever you listen to your podcasts spotify they, they or did find us they already found us oh and give a review is yes, what you're gonna say oh and give i'm us, sorry and give us stars subscribe to us it's very very important yes we please. really appreciate it we we've gotten a couple stars recently and and i'm very grateful yeah so thank you so much for listening see you next time Bye bye.